Good morning. We're glad you're here. How many's going to the water park? All right. There wasn't one gray head that raised their hand. You don't have the guts, I could tell. Uh, they still have pictures of me doing dives from last year, so uh, you want to go. Uh, we're in a book called the Book of John that I uh, broke from about seven months ago, or something seemed like. Uh, can you find the Book of John? Yes. Turn to it. The Book of John. It's good to have the choir back. That's uh, wonderful. We keep saying it's wonderful to have all these young people. We're glad you're here. Um, let's uh, go to John 14, verse 15. I'm going to read through verse 24. It says, if you love me, you won't do a thing I say. Can you imagine telling your child, please turn out the light. I love you, Daddy, but I'm not going to do it. It has severe consequences. If you love me, you will continually be keeping my commandments. Now, I said his. I don't believe this is everybody's commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. I'm using New American, because if I don't like ESV or NIV, I breathe the one I believe in. And I'll tell you more about the word helper. That he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me. But you will see me because I live, you will also live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Let's stop there. Let's get the setting again of what's going on when these words are said. We're in an upper room that Christ borrowed to say goodbye to his disciples. Twelve men show up. One has already struck a deal to sell the Son of God for 30 pieces of silver. And Judas will leave the meeting that night, and so we'll be left with 11 men and Christ. Then we have Peter's great confession of, I will not abandon you no matter who tries to abandon you. And Christ says in that upper room at that meal, Peter, you will deny me before the rooster crows three times, and within 24 hours, that's fulfilled. If you read the Matthew account in chapter 26, it says of this night, in this very night, all fled Christ. Now, you've got to be somewhere in that upper room. You're either a Judas, a failing Peter, who boasts your loyalty, but you're getting ready to fail, maybe within 24 hours. Or were the cowards of the other 10 that just flee. We never pledge loyalty and we certainly don't show loyalty, and we bail out. 
So this is a tragic night in many ways, a heart-sickening night when they're losing their heart. In the midst of it, Christ says, I'm no longer going to be with you. I'm saying goodbye. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to a tomb. But goodbye. I'm no longer going to be with you. I mean, everything seems to be folding up in a night. Think of this. I'm going to start a church with this group of men. The future looks dismal. And in the midst of it, Christ has said several things. One, just because I'm going away doesn't mean I won't be working on behalf of you. I'm moving my operation to the throne, and if you'll ask me for anything, I will grant it to you since I'm there, chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. Now, he goes on, and he reiterates what he will say over and over. If you really are my followers, you'll simply do what I tell you. It's simple. You'll obey my commands. But now he announces something. I'm going to ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. This one won't leave. That is the spirit of truth whom the world knows nothing about. Uh, several things I want us to look at. Uh, he's really saying help is on the way, and you men desperately need help. The church will never get launched unless God provides divine help. And so he's saying, I want to tell you men, I'm going to send you help. Several things I want you to note. He says this, I will send you another helper. It's interesting, the word another, we've only got one word for another. The Greeks had two words. They had a word that meant another of the same kind, and they had another word, another of a different kind. We get the word heteros, heterodoxy, heterosexual, that which is opposite of one. Uh, another kind of teaching. But when you say this word, alas, easy to say, you're saying, I'm going to send another helper of the same kind as I have been. It's going to be the same quality, different person, but the same kind of help. Two, this helper is called the spirit of truth. No one less than the Holy Spirit is who he's going to send. And then this word helper, uh, I don't know what translation you're reading, but uh, as you read, you read comforter, counselor. Uh, some just bail out and say paraclete, whatever that is. Is that a parakeet or is that a paraclete? They don't know. Uh, when you don't know what to do with it as a translator, just give them the Greek word and let everybody make up their meaning. Now, what, what is, does the word mean? Uh, it's kind of nice. I want to send you a parakletos. I'm going to send you literally one called alongside for the purpose of giving aid. John uses it five times. It's used of a lawyer that will go to court and represent you. And this is the way it's used in 1 John. When we sin, we have a legal aid, a legal lawyer who represents us before God, Jesus Christ, who pleads his cross work on behalf of the sinning believer. That's the help we get up there. But what about earth? How do we pull it off down here? He says, I'm going to give you a helper called alongside to give you aid, to give you strength, and he's going to abide with you forever. This is the Holy Spirit that is coming. I don't know about this congregation, uh, but if you were to ask many Christians anything about the Holy Spirit, uh, who he is, what he does, uh, they're dumb as a cluck about it. They don't know. 
Holy Spirit. You, you get this. You ever hear this? I'm in touch with my spirituality. You're in touch with your spirituality. What, what's that? You know you're talking to a Hindu or a New Ager. I'm in touch. I'm spiritual. In the Bible, no one is spiritual who is not in a proper relationship to the Holy Spirit. Spirituality isn't something I, I, I feel spirituality coming on. No, a conniption's coming on. <laughs> a, a fever's coming on. Now, this, you're not in tune with the Spirit. You're into subjective feelings, emotion. And let me get in touch with my whatever. Spirituality is related to the person of the Godhead. Listen to what a theologian called Packer says. Christian people are not in doubt as to the work that Christ did. And he obviously doesn't pastor in this area. He knows that he's redeemed by the atoning death of Christ, even if they differ among themselves about that. But the average Christian is in a complete fog as to what the work of the Holy Spirit does. If you ask a Christian, what does the Holy Spirit do for the believer now? Tell me. Outline it for me. Some talk of the Spirit of Christ in a way that you think they're talking about the Spirit of Christmas. They have no idea he's a divine person. Some, the big tragedy, is many Christians don't think of the Holy Spirit at all, according to Packer. They just have some no positive ideas of any sort about him. He says, they're sort of like the disciples in Acts 19. We haven't even heard there is such a Holy Spirit. So, who is the Holy Spirit? He is the helper that is sent. And what are some things he helps us with? What does he do for the believer? What is the help? What does it look like? And let me just say some things that about this helper, uh, several things. He is a person. Never refer to him as an it. This isn't Casper we're talking about. You know, when I used to hear the word ghost, didn't you, anybody remember Casper? These poor young people, we've got to update them. You didn't grow up on Casper. We grew up on the good stuff. Uh, I mean, he's floating in, floating out, or haunted houses. There's spirits there. We just went to one in Disneyland. A.J. nearly jumped out of his hide. You know, haunted, the spirits are there. Wait, 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 wait. We're talking about a person who has intellect, will, emotion. Uh, the Holy Spirit is a divine person as much as God the Son, as much as the Father. We believe in three persons in the Godhead. See, some of you already, there's a film over your eyes because you don't know. Say, I'll take your word for it. We had time, we would just do a whole study on the Trinity. That's another thing most believers today could not articulate. Uh, the Holy Spirit is seen in the Bible to be a part of creation. He was back there. He hovered over the waters in Genesis 1. He was at the conception of Christ. He hovered over Mary in Acts 1. He protected her in the midst of carrying the Messiah. Uh, he's the agent that reveals Scripture to us. He, he's been active ever since creation. He, he is a divine person. I'm sending you another person of the Godhead who is omniscient, all-powerful, all has all the attributes of the other members of the Godhead. I'm going to send him, and he will be with you forever. A divine person. Matter of fact, he is treated so much as a person. Uh, let me show you two examples. Turn in your Bibles, Matthew, or your iPad. Just turn. I've given up trying to convert you. Look at uh, Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verse 18, Great Commission. Listen to this. 
Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the names of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What did I incorrectly do? Why one name? One God, three persons. One God, go baptize him in the name of God. What's the name of God? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Turn to Acts, Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. We're going to take an offering pretty soon. Remember this chapter. Or you may not get out of here alive. I told the Lord I'd give. But he knows we need a houseboat. Uh, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself. With his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? Why? What are you lying for? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your, yours? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Verse 3, he lied to the Holy Spirit. In verse 4, the Holy Spirit is called God. The Holy Spirit is God. I'm going to send you men help. I am going to become the invisible member of the Godhead once again. I'm going to go back. Matter of fact, the help will remain invisible. But he's going to give you the same kind of help that I gave you for these 33 years in my ministry. He will do for you anything I want him to do, anything I can do as the Son of God, he will be able to do, and I and my Father will commission him to come because you guys are going to fail, 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 and we're never going to get outside of Jerusalem if we don't infuse some power in you. And so he says in Luke 24, go to Jerusalem and stay there and don't even move until I send you the spirit of promise. Stay in Jerusalem. Some of you have never waited long enough for God to empower you before you jump out there trying to do something for God. You better learn, first of all, to tap the power of God. You're not ready to do anything until you discover, how can I draw on this divine power? Too much church work is human activity without the Spirit. You could do it at the Moose Lodge as well as you could do it here. You just got high energy, and you're going to do something, but God's not bearing any fruit. Because activity without the Spirit is just activity. Now... I want us just to survey. I wrote down more than what I've got, but let me give you a sample of some of the things the Spirit wants to do for the believer and what he does for the believer. And let's just take a little uh, review of the person and work of the Spirit. Here's what the Spirit does for believers. This is the kind of help we needed. Are you ready? Number one, uh, he is the agent that imparts life to us. Titus says we've been born again or regenerated by the power of the Spirit who applies the death of Christ to the believer and washes us, as it were, makes us clean before God, and he's the agent that imparts to us the 
the spirit that comes, we're born again of the word of God, the seed, we're born from the Holy Spirit. So your new birth, who was actively involved? He came because you see, when God starts dealing with an unsaved person, he starts with a corpse. You're dead towards God outside of Christ. And we must be quickened. We must be made alive. Who made you alive? It was the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit that regenerated you. Lest you try to believe me, let's look at the verse. I'm a Bible Christian. What about you? You don't know any more about God than you know about his word. The rest have just been dreams. You can never become what God wants you to be until you make it your business to know what he said. His word is the agent of transformation. Watch what he says. Verse 4 of Titus. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love to mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces a renewed people, a new kind of people. Beautiful, beautiful. Now, when he saved you, there's something else he did. He uh, immersed you into the body of Christ. Turn. You've got to turn the Bible. I know you don't know where the books are, but you've got to learn them. Come on. If you're sitting with a young person, share your Bible, but don't show them you don't know where it is either. Help them out. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, verse 12. Have all believers uh, received the baptism of the Spirit? Prove it, whatever your answer is. Prove it. Look at verse 12. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized. And he's not out of baptistry tank or some creek with fish that can bite you. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. All believers have drank of one spirit. He comes to every believer, and here there's this debate among charismatics and concerns. Have all believers received the baptism of the spirit? And they'll use baptism to speak of power, uh, enablement, maybe tongues. That's their language. I grew up on that language. I know what they mean. But here you find out the baptizing work of the Spirit had nothing to do with power or tongues. And it was not just a select group. All of you have been baptized into the body of Christ. You know what that means? When you were baptized, the synonym for baptism equals identified with. If you were baptized under John's baptism, you were identified with him. If you were baptized in the cloud with Moses, 1 Corinthians 10, 1, you were identified with him. When you were baptized into Christ, the Spirit took you, who used to be in sin, used to be in Adam, and the moment you believed, you didn't even know it, he took you, and in the mind of God, he, from now on, sees you identified with his son, so he treats you like he treats his son. He, you've got a future like the son. You are the son's property. You've got his righteousness. You've got his acceptance. I am identified not with Adam anymore. I'm identified with the new man in the third heaven. The Spirit immersed me into Christ. Now, all the power and that kind of theology is more spirit-filling. But because baptism was used on the day of Pentecost, see, on the day the church was born, and he baptized them all in the Holy Spirit. But it is the church was born on the day of Pentecost, and the Spirit not only came, but the Spirit that day 
transform them in Christ. And you know what he says in Galatians? All you who have been baptized in Christ, I want you to know in this new identity, there's neither male nor female. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. Whoa. You mean we no longer need a men and women's bathroom? No, 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 no. Don't get mixed up here, honey. That is, as God sees you in Christ, they're still ladies. They're still men. They're still poor. They're still wealthy. They're still Jews. They're still down here. But your identity before God, now when he sees you, he doesn't look at your gender, doesn't look at your social status, and he doesn't look at your ethnicity, your identity. I see you clothed in my son. I see my son coming before me. You, this is what the Spirit has done. You are in Christ 115 times in the New Testament. Your identity, that's why you ought to live like you are in him. Say, well, man, I don't want all these rules. I don't want all this stuff on me. Wait, 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 wait. He calls us saints because we're to be the visible reps of the invisible relationship. We've been joined. You're literally, you're in union with Christ. You become a living member of his body. And how did it happen? At the moment of regeneration, there was a baptism, and there was no splash when it happened. It happened up there. Whoo! You were immersed into Christ. So I've got a new identity. That's why he says, for we are a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. What passed away? Everything I was in Adam. Everything I was in Christ. And behold, you become a new creation in Christ Jesus. Friend, I'm a new creation and you are too. The Spirit created it. I'm in union with Christ. He's not just holding on to me. Hi, friend, I'm not just in his hand. I'm a part of his hand. I've been immersed into the body. I'm in the body. Christ would have to amputate his body to get me lost. I'm saying, Jesus, I'm with you forever. And you said, this spirit is with me forever. Well, if you weren't so uptight, you'd get happy over this stuff. This stuff gets you happy. Then he indwells every believer. He's going to come. He's been with you. I believe that was the Old Testament relationship. He came and went. You remember David was scared to death that God would take his Holy Spirit from him? Because he'd watched Saul when the Spirit left him and when demonic spirits came and tormented him. And David said, uh-oh, I've committed a horrendous sin. I I've stolen a man's wife. I've got into adultery. I I've murdered. Oh, I'm going to lose the Holy Spirit just like Saul. Because the Spirit came and went. Don't ever use Samson to teach our young people as the model how to live for God. But why did the Spirit come and go on him? God's sovereign, and he could use even a donkey. That's why he's using you. He ain't impressed with you folks, nor me. He can move on anybody he wants. He moved on rocks. He moved on an animal that could tell Balaam, you're wrong, you stop. He's sovereign. I can move on Samson to kill the enemies of Israel, and he's one of the most immoral men in the Bible, and, and he's put in the Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11. Not for his character. Just he obviously had a faith relationship with God, and God used him to do great things, but no pattern for how to live. Way back there. And David said, don't take your spirit from me. Now he says the promise, I'm going to send you another helper. And I've been here on the earth for 33 years, and I'm going back. And you won't see me. For 2,000 years, I want to show up and show you in my resurrection state for 50 days. I'm going to show you myself. But for 2,000 years, I'm going to be invisible, and I'm going to be up there. But I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and he will be in you forever. And, and he will move into you, 
and he will be like uh, a permanent live-in. Have you ever had anyone move in and live with you longer than you thought they would? <laughs> One sister raised her hand. You can see the misery right there. She's been through it. Said, uh, uh, some people are like a fish. In three days, they begin to spoil. It's time to go. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit's going to move in your house. He's going to make it his temple. And uh, no matter how you behave, he's going to stay in there. And uh, you're going to know he's there because he grieves when you, you disobey. You're going to feel him quenched at times. That's an amazing thing, that you feel the Spirit quenched in you. Uh, how do you feel a live-in person quenched? I guess they quit talking or uh, they're sad. But he said, this live-in person will feel quenched when he's not uh, welcome, when he's not obeyed, when he's not wanted. He, you'll feel a grieving person living in your heart. And sometimes you say, what's wrong with me? I can't enjoy sin like I used to. You've got a new live-in. And it's not your boyfriend. This is your God. Your God moves in. And he's Holy Spirit. You know why he's always called holy? He emphasizes his job as the third member. He emphasizes the uniqueness, the separateness, and the transcendence of the living God, that there's no other God or being in all the universe like this. And I'm going to underscore, he's the set-apart holy God. And he doesn't run with evil, compromise, anger, doubt, unbelief, sin. And he's going to stay in there and say, honey, I'm not going to move out. You've got to get right. You've got to make me feel at home. Because I'm with you forever. Now, you want him around when you need help. You just don't want him around when you want to sin. But he's there for both occasions. I sure want him in the midnight hour when troubles are piling up around me. And I need help. I need help. I'm glad he's on board. Let's keep moving. Fourthly, he's the one that gave them power to become bold witnesses. Uh, we constantly hear believers talk in evangelism. Well, I'm timid. I'm cowardly. Well, welcome to the Disciples Club. Have you ever heard of the Holy Spirit? That he puts a ramrod in your back and finally gives you a backbone to represent the truth. The very disciples in this night that bail out on the Son of God are the very people that on the day of Pentecost, every man in this room except for John dies a martyr's death. Where did the courage and the change come from? You might be saying, are you telling me if I get his help, I become a martyr? No, but you would be willing to if you had to. Some of you, it's a strain to make it to church. How about being a martyr? Where did they get this? You stay in Jerusalem. And when I send this power from on high, I'm going to take all you men that abandoned me in my greatest trial. I'm going to forgive you, but you need more than forgiveness. You need enablement lest you do it again. In my early Christian life, I got tired of always having to get forgiveness. I wanted to have some victory. I wanted to say, I don't do it. I got through that. But I find out after lo these many years, every day I've got to start with the cross and forgiveness before I get to power. I got to ask forgiveness for what I haven't done. 
Oh, I don't do the socially wrong ones. I, I've quit being a drug dealer. Don't whip my wife, except on Monday. You know, our dad taught us boys a song, it's a shame to whip your wife on Sunday when you've got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday. You know, oh, the biggie. So you got to look good. you got to look good. But isn't it amazing the longer you know God, how aware of your sinfulness you are? But boy, you look good. I haven't done that. I haven't done that. Well, what are you doing that's grieving the Spirit? Do you have any power to witness? No, I don't have that power. This is my way I'm made. This is my person. Oh, get out of here. God doesn't conform himself to your personality. He wants to change you, not change him. And he took these cowards, he took these bailout men, and he said, I'm going to infuse power. I'm going to infuse strength you've never had before so that you will never bail out on me again. Never bail out. How you doing witnessing? Does anybody on your job know you're a Christian? Does anybody in your household know you're a Christian? Any Jesus on display around there? Or do you pull up to the church parking lot and you tell your wife, smile, we're at church. Well, why don't you smile because you're at home? Because she's living with you. I was kidding a pastor friend of mine. I happened to be post-tribulations. I said, well, your wife had to become one when she married you. She knows she entered into it. You don't even know the theological point. That's okay. Paul knows. He knows what I'm talking about. Where's, where's, the, where's this power? You shall receive power. I'm sending you a helper. I'm not sending it to men who batted 99. You all fail. I'm beginning with a failing group of people, and I want to infuse my power to show that the might and the power of Christianity lies in a resurrected Christ, and he had to die on the cross to buy you the help he sent. The Holy Spirit has all the power to help you do everything God wants you to do. We've got the power. You know what reminds me? Uh, in regeneration, let's, let's use the illustration. It's like a new motor has been made. We got this 500 horsepower engine. Or let's take a motor of some other making. The only problem, it has to be plugged in. No matter what the motor can do, that's I think cars, other kinds of equipment, it has to be plugged into a power source. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to furnish you power if you'll wait in Jerusalem. And he came. He's the power source. You'll be so thrilled when you quit always having to fail and confess and you finally start drawing on divine power. He wants to empower us weaklings to be powerful in Christ. Well, he uh, goes on. Look at uh, Romans 8. Romans 8. How's your prayer life doing? Well, it will certainly get quiet. Talk about evangelism and prayer and giving, and you can always quiet a church down. Look at verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit also what? Helps our weakness. Well, we've got a lot of them, Lord. Which one are you talking about? It's singular. For we do not know how to pray as we should. At least they're trying to pray. Have you ever showed up to pray and ignorance took the day? 
And you finally said, duh, I don't know what to ask. You ever been there? Sure. More than you can imagine. And so in our, in our ignorant state, we need help. And he said, the Spirit comes. He's very much involved in your prayer life. And he knows maybe you've been praying for the wrong thing or you haven't been able to articulate anything. You maybe just feel uh, frozen up inside. You're maybe in sorrow. Or grief. You just, uh, whatever the state is, it doesn't seem to speak in a condemning way. It just seems to be a matter of our experience. We do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Wow. So he, he groans, uh, he does something in us. Isn't it interesting that the third person of the Godhead can groan inside of you, over you? And this word groaning is used three times in Romans. He said all creation groans, the spirit groans, and Christians groan. Can you imagine the member of the Godhead being so involved with you that in prayer at that point when ignorance takes over your heart, maybe from heartache, uh, a situation you can't fix, control. Uh, well, I wonder, I just read Job 1 through 3 last night. How in the world did this man without a Bible, without a church, without a radio class teacher, how in the world was he able to say, naked I came into this world, and naked shall I leave. The Lord has given, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I tell you right now, if 10 of my children just died, I could not articulate such a prayer. It is astounding, the response. This man is pre-Abraham. Many scholars believe he was an Arab. There's nothing that says he was Jewish. Where did he even know about God? Oral tradition. All the way down from Adam through Noah, he learned about God some way, and 42 chapters describe his sorrow and his debate with the comforters. The Holy Spirit comes to help you uh, in the articulation of prayer that many times you got what you needed, but it wasn't a thing you prayed for. Well, who requested it? How did it get there? The Holy Spirit knew your predicament, and he took over the prayer meeting. And it doesn't say you're groaning. Does it say you're groaning? He's groaning. How does the invisible person of the God in the third, how does the Holy Spirit groan? Some think this is tongue praying. Some think that we are uh, physically, audibly groaning. We might, we might, but it doesn't say that. It says this third person of the, I don't know exactly. I've experienced it, but I don't, I can't put an exact, am I groaning on the floor? or on my knees in prayer? Uh, am I, uh, uh, and I can't articulate anything? Or is it, I've got a member of the Godhead who's able to talk a language in groaning that the other persons of the Godhead understand. And he who searches the hearts, and this is God the Father, knows what the mind of the Spirit is. See, he could read the mind of the Spirit, and if his groanings are silent, just a member of the Godhead. He can read the mind of the Spirit because 
The Spirit is interceding for the saints according to the will of God. He will ask God for exactly what you need in the path of obedience. Where are you today? Do you need divine help? Is there something in prayer that you've come up against? You've got an unsaved child. You've got a tough marriage. Uh, economics, you're knocking at the door. Health issues, relational misunderstandings. Uh, just you feel frozen in the Christian life. You're not making progress. Uh, things that you have no power over. I hate it when I can't do anything about the situation. And that's what you run into when you deal with people. You just can't change them to be what you want. As though what you want is the ideal. But if I could just change them by choking, I would choke more. <laughs> but it doesn't work. You can make the child sit down, but you can't make them submit. You can't change the heart. So the help we need, obviously, one area is this ignorance that overwhelms us in a fallen world when we're handed one situation after another that we lack wisdom, we lack uh, the right way to go, and uh, yet it all works out. I always think of an experience I had when I was teaching at a college, and I was overwhelmed with uh, trials of different sorts and uh, different situations. I was troubled. Uh, I could hardly sleep, and I sang myself to sleep that night. I, I, poor Carolyn, she's working at the lab, and I'm over here uh, late at night singing to myself to calm my nerves, and, and I I sang favorite songs of mine. He whispered sweet peace. Love lifted me was the last one I sang. I sang myself to sleep. Trouble, confused, no answer. By the time I woke up, the peace of God flooded my heart. Nothing had changed out there that I knew about, but the Spirit all night had been ministering to me He'd been talking to God about me. And he said, the poor boy doesn't know how to get through it. He doesn't know the answer. He's just a young man. He doesn't know, but I know. And the father said, I could read the mind of the spirit who's interceding and groaning. They need help, and I've sent you help. The spirit will ask God for what you need and give it when you're too dumb to know what you need. That's what he said. We need help. And he said, I'll send it. Um, six. I picked this up next week. You know, this is too good. This is, this is one semester of seminary if we got into it. Um, look at Galatians. The Holy Spirit comes to help us and fill us with the character of Christ. And just look in 516. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will be controlled by the flesh. <clears throat> and walk means your manner of life. Order your manner of life in reliance on the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Well, well, uh, flesh is no big problem. I can handle it. Oh. Uh -huh. Then he says, well, the flesh is opposed to the spirit. And if you're led by the spirit, you won't be under the law. The law can't control the flesh. It can tell it what to do, but it can't give you any power. That's what Romans 8, 3 and 4 says. Well, well what's the flesh like? I, I don't have problems with the flesh. How are you doing on the immorality? Impurity, sensuality. 
all seem to be in the realm of sexuality. Dirty mind, dirty morals, uh, sensuous, all in that area. Uh, out of control, sexuality, sensuality. Uh, our culture seems to be pretty much into it. Uh, wouldn't know what to do on a weekend if you didn't have those options. Then two are over uh, idolatry and sorcery. Then what about human relationships? I'm at enmity with who I'm working with. There's strife in my home. I'm jealous of this other person. I struggle with anger. I'm in 10 anger management classes, and I'm mad that I have to attend. Uh, uh, disputing, uh, debate over everything, dissensions, factions, envying. Oh, by the way, I get drunk once in a while and carouse a little bit. And I didn't tell you everything, but things like this that I forewarned you about, that those who keep doing these kinds of things are not even going to heaven. They won't even inherit the kingdom of heaven. Where's the power? Where's the power? The power is in the source, this divine helper that he sent. The power is found in the Holy Spirit. We'll pick it up next week, okay? Father, we need help. We need help. The Christian life is not difficult. It's impossible. And we know that. So we have been called to live before you responsibly, but we cannot do it in our power. If anybody could have done it in their own power, Israel would have. But they failed miserably, just as we have every time we relied on our strength. We ask you, let us become a spirit-filled, Bible-saturated, Christ-exalting church. Do the work. Take and transform us with the new help you send us. All changes into the glory of Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.